This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. This is your Need To Know Financial Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Candice Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Now this week, we're bringing you an expert in the Australian floating fixed interest market, also known as hybrids or preference shares. Now, given the market volatility, rising interest rates and recession backdrop we're facing, this type of investment is a critical asset allocation in the current market conditions. So we wanted to bring you the best in the business to help explain exactly what hybrid are and why some investors find them attractive. 100% correct, Felicity. So without further ado, we won't leave anyone hanging. Welcome to the show, Cameron Duncan from Shoreham Partners. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. We're so excited to sit down and chat with you. Now, I guess we know you very well, right? Um, we've had the privilege of getting to know you while we've been working at Shrine Partners. But for our listeners' benefit, you have worked in the industry, the financial markets, for over 30 years, including a 16-year stint as Division Director at Macquarie Group. So I've got to ask, what the heck is Division Director all about? Look, that's a very good question. I didn't completely figure it out even after 16 years, but uh, look, <laughs> it's, it's just a, it's just a, uh, a sort of a, a classification there and effectively I, I guess it means that you uh, ended up with a degree of expertise in your area. Uh, might, might have been a little bit of management involved, but, um, you know, essentially I did really specialise sort of in the fixed interest and uh, convertible note and hybrid area. And uh, so that's that's sort of where I ended up. Amazing. So I guess that kind of brings you back to where you are now presently at Shore and Partners, where you joined Shore back in 2015. And essentially, you got straight into establishing the Shore SMA modelled portfolios with your partner, Steve Anagnos, which we'll get into. Now, you're well known in the credit hybrid market as the portfolio performance speaks of your expertise and impressive skill set in this space. So I guess since 2015, when you set up the SMA, which is Shaw Managed Account, the hybrid model portfolio has returned 5.56% per annum, which I say it's quite incredible seeing as we've been in a decreasing rate environment. Now, the makeup of that has actually been 4.75% income and 0.81% in capital growth, beating the benchmark generating alpha of 1.75%. Is that right, Cam? Yep. No, those figures sound pretty spot on. At the end of the day, it is an income-focused strategy and portfolio. But um, as you alluded to, we do try and sort of generate a little bit of capital gain uh, we don't we don't sort of market or talk to that normally, but um, you know there is some active management that takes place, and uh, given we're very close to the market and talk to institutions and do have a lot of information, which is freely available to everyone, but it's you have to go and seek it out. That that sort of we think gives us a competitive advantage. That's it. Well, we all like a bit of alpha, don't we? Absolutely. Especially on talk money to me. <laughs> now we're going to hear more uh, from Cameron about 
what hybrids are, how they work, the risks involved. But before we do that, guys, just a really quick reminder, our chat today is not considered personal advice, even though we are registered financial advisors at Shrine Partners. Please note that this podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial product. That's right. Now we're here to educate our listeners. So I want to kick us off. So Cam, can you give us a brief overview of the history of the Australian hybrid market for those not familiar with this asset class? How do they work and how long have they been around? That's a great question, um, Felicity. I think uh, they've been around since the 1990s, if not longer, but that's sort of when I came into contact with them. And, you know, they were sort of originally um, structured as um, converting preference shares. So they had characteristics of debt and characteristics of equity. And uh, they've changed over the over the years. And, of course, there's bank hybrids and uh, corporate hybrids, uh, which both have differing characteristics too. Uh, and we've had, we have focused more in recent times on the, uh, the bank spectrum. So I'll sort of steer my conversation towards those. But what we saw, um, you know, during the global financial crisis was that the regulator came to the conclusion that the banks probably weren't well enough capitalised, um, given they had, you know, many of them had to bail out or supported during the GFC. So what we ended up with was, um, as far as the uh, financial um, issuers were concerned, was the form of Basel III compliant capital notes. So, as I said, these things have got characteristics of both debt and equity. Um, in the capital structure, hybrids sit above equity um, and you have a thing called a distribution stopper. So, where any amount of an ordinary dividend is being paid by a bank or a financial institution that has a hybrid on issue, they must pay the full hybrid distribution. Typically, five to seven, five to eight years, call it, after issue date, there's an optional call date, and in virtually all cases, um, subject to APRA's approval, the regulator, um, these securities are called for their face value at that time, but they needn't be. They can actually be left out on issue, and then they mandatorily convert into $101 worth of shares in two years' uh, time after the call date. We've never seen that happen, by the way, uh, but, you know, it's all it's all... That structure exists to provide the banks with capital buffer, effectively. So Australia's quite unique, right, because we're the only ones that have this type of market. Is that correct? There is a very similar structure um, that banks issue over in Europe. Um, they're referred to as COCOs, Contingent Conversion Securities. And look, they are very, very similar to our securities uh, that we have here, the bank hybrids. A couple of nuances and differences, though. They're probably a little bit more investor-friendly here generally, but pretty similar. US um, only has pref shares. It's a different market over there. Okay. And you mentioned a couple of technical terms. Don't worry, guys. We're going to unpack what that means a little bit later in our chat. But I want to just pick up what you said. In simple terms, really, preference shares, hybrids, whatever you want to call them, they're really in between the risk scale of equities and bonds, right? So why would an investor, do you think, want to look at a hybrid market today in this current climate? Yeah, look, as I said before, I'll, I'll sort of um, focus on the, the bank hybrids. And uh, I think what's really important to understand is the credit quality of the issuer. So even though these things have characteristics of both debt and equity, the fact of the matter is, you know, most of the securities certainly that we put in our portfolio are issued by the major banks. We've seen what happens when the major banks get into a bit of strife here. They typically do garner some support from the central bank, i.e. the Reserve Bank. So what we saw in the GFC was that 
to ensure their funding um, integrity, effectively the Reserve Bank came out and guaranteed the bank's senior debt so they could keep raising funds. Now, you could go and buy, you know, a senior secured debt piece in a, in a corporate, but it might be a really lowly rated corporate. If they go into liquidation, you may only receive 10, 20 cents in the dollar. And, you know, I think uh, a good example of that was the Virgin Notes. So, look, you know, you really, you are buying a piece of paper that's issued by um, a very strong credit. You know, they're rated AA minus, the, the major banks in Australia. Um, so, this is an investment grade rated piece of paper that you're buying. And uh, and look, you know, they whilst they do have characteristics of both debt and equity, they err on the side of behaving more like debt than equity. But uh, you're quite correct to say that they do sit between the two. Now, you mentioned the Virgin Note. So I guess, you know, on the riskier end of the scale, what actually happened to those hybrid investors in the Virgin Note when it went into administration during the COVID crash? Well, that note, it wasn't actually hybrid. It, was, it actually was debt. So the difference being that, um, for example, the distributions paid on a hybrid technically are discretionary. In other words, the bank doesn't have to pay them. But as I said to you, you know, if they're paying a, an ordinary dividend, they must pay the full hybrid distribution. And in fact, even when we saw a dividend emitted and one deferred in 2020 when the G, the pandemic hit, they still paid their full hybrid distribution. So I think the regulator is very focused on maintaining um, confidence in our banking system and so they would prefer that to be the case. But just, you know, digressing a little bit there, but I mean, Virgin uh, was in fact a an unsecured note, but, you know, it was issued out of a company that didn't actually have any earnings and... Uh, you know, whilst it had sort of a, it was almost in a duopoly effectively, it was just a much lower credit. So I think they were unrated from memory virgin. So it doesn't always help you to be in a security that's technically further up the capital structure if the issuer is not strong. And so I think that's the situation that they were faced with. I think from memory, they got a recovery of circa 13 cents in the dollar around that sort of number. So it was pretty uh, draconian outcome. Yeah, and I guess there's a lot of, I guess, notes issued by some speculative miners out of WA. That's, again, probably something that we we wouldn't touch. Um, I think what Candice and I really like about the Shaw managed portfolio is that it's mostly, you know, your major bank hybrids, you know, and some other banks as well. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And look, you know, we, we did actually include um, a few corporates uh, when we first started um uh, initiated the portfolio, uh, for example, and we were quite successful in some of the ones we owned. We bought Origin Notes, I think, at about ninety cents in the in the dollar, and they were redeemed at a hundred. Uh, Origin, of course, was always a very good credit, and you know various other names, a couple of um, property issued um, hybrids. But we came to the conclusion that, and the feedback we received from our investors was that they really wanted to maximise capital preservation. Um, of course, they understand that there is greater risk in these than, you know, obviously a term deposit or something like that, where you've got minimal credit risk. However, you know, you've got to you've got to take more risk to receive return. But they they were just investors were very comfortable with the banks' uh, investment grade credit rating. They understood them. I think just the fact that you're governed by the regulator and you've got the Reserve Bank that you're interacting with, that gives people a lot of comfort. Yeah, and as you've eloquently put it, you know, that nothing comes without risk, right? Or you go into cash or something like a term deposit. But 
the regulator and the high regulation that we have in the financial industry here in Australia is quite unique and I think that's what makes our credit market stand out to others. So I'm going to go there with you, Cam. You know, let's talk about APRA, who they are for the benefit of our listeners, how often do they meet and talk and I guess how tight do they have their reins on our banking system and what does it mean if they're giving guidance to the tier one capital ratio for the banks? You know, what does that mean short-term impact to the hybrid market that you guys look after and, and watch on a daily basis? Yeah, look, they, um, you know, APRA, obviously the acronym that stands for the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, they govern the banks in terms of, you know, how much capital is needed and various other uh, rules and regulations that they need to abide by. And, you know, the capital discussion probably is the key so what we saw was in 2015, the regulator, i.e. APRA, come out and say, we actually don't think, we think the banks need more capital. So they made the, the major banks in Macquarie raise circa north of $20 billion in equity capital. And that's, that's, that was one of the reasons we found this asset class even more attractive because, you know, the more equity capital buffer you've got underneath you as a hybrid investor, the safer they become. So all that equity was raised through share SPPs and various placements and so forth. But since then, APRA has gradually increased the threshold of what's called common equity tier one that's required to be held by the banks. In other words, just bank equity, normal ordinary equity rather. So that now sits at circa 11 and a quarter percent, although they sort of effectively say they'd like the banks to be above 11 and a half percent in this common equity tier one. Um, now, that's a pretty high number. That would involve the banks having to really experience a, hu- a very high level of bad and doubtful debts and write-downs to get down to the level where this is something we haven't talked about. So these bank hybrids do actually have what's called a capital trigger. So in the event that their common equity tier one falls below 5.125%, so 5 and an eighth percent, you would then be converted into $100 worth of shares. Because I'm just going to interrupt you there, Cam, that's what the regulators say, that's considered stress levels. So we want you to be at like 11, 12% ratio, but if you get down to that, you've got to trigger it. Now, just rewinding the clock just quickly, how low have we ever got here in Australia in the GFC and in COVID crash? Look, I don't think we've, that's a good question and I'm not entirely sure what the answer to it is uh, without reference, but I I would say to you that it's certainly been nowhere near five and an eighth percent. In recent times, you know, they've, they've, even during the pandemic, they were well above, certainly above nine and I think above 10. Yeah. And that that's the sense that we get through our research, right, at Shoring Partners. I think I think it was Martin Crabb that said it was around eight, like you were saying, eight, nine percent. Like we've never really gotten to those distress levels. And like you said at the start of the chat, we've never seen a trigger ever happen, right, to equity. So that's good. I think that's why people are comfortable with the banks in Australia, right? Like we have some of the most prudent, um, I guess, systems here that prevents, uh, I guess, a lot of issues. So I think you know, don't overseas investors also want to invest in our credit market because it is fairly safe compared to, you know, the US or, you know, the UK? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, there's other levers that the regulator can pull too, which uh, such things is this is part of why the capital's never got down to really low levels. So the regulator will start insisting once you get below, I think it's 8%, that the banks stop paying profit share to employees. They're probably going to be pushing them to do an equity raise. They'll look at tell them to have a look at some of their costs 
Um, so there's a whole bunch of measures they can take to shore up the capital of a bank. And that's kind of what happened in 2015 when they decided that the banks needed more capital. That's one of the favourable things about being regulated by a, a diligent sort of body like APRA. It just keeps the integrity of the system intact. That's really interesting. I think that would give a lot of investors quite a bit of confidence, to be honest. So let's go to our next question, right? You're responsible for co-running the Shore and Partners hybrid model portfolio with Steve, or we like to call him Aggie. Um, now, can you give us a brief summary of the recent investment changes you've made in the portfolio? And I guess give us a comment on the you know, the recent month and what the portfolio is, is made up of. Thanks, Felicity. The, um, the portfolio has got about 22 different bank hybrid securities in it. Um, we always like to keep it sort of up towards 20 or more for the simple reason that it gives you diversity out to different call dates, which is nice. So you can adjust your credit duration, as we call it, or you, you sort of tenor, if you like. And the other thing is it gives you better liquidity because you tran- you know, you're able to transact up to 20 plus securities in the market. Um, so you don't need to buy or sell too much of a concentration or huge amount in any one security. So that's all helpful. What we've been doing recently is, you know, over the past few months, because we were getting a little bit concerned that the market was a bit toppy and that credit spreads might broaden. And by the way, when, you know, when credit spreads widen, it means effectively that people require a bigger return to invest in the same assets. They're applying a bigger risk margin um, to those assets or issuers. We've seen that happen across the board over the past month or two, obviously, with you know risk markets, equity markets coming off and credit spreads widening. So what we did over the past few months was actually sell out of our longer dated securities and buy more of the shorter dated securities. Now, the reason for that is when you're closer to the call date, which is when you typically receive your $100 face value back, so you pay $100 up front, which is your face value, and that's the amount upon which your distributions are calculated, you know, at call date, you'll receive the same amount back. So when that's closer to happening, it means the securities become less volatile. When it's further away, you get more volatility and fluctuation in price. So we did that rebalancing over a a considerable period of time. And uh, we're probably getting to the point now where we start going the other way, because we've seen these securities cheapen up and uh, so that's that's one of the ways we smooth the portfolio out over over a longer period of time. It's in, in equity terms, it's almost like buy low, sell high, which is you know, a pretty good strategy. <laughs> that's it. Um, and there's been quite a lot of new issues recently as well, hasn't there? Uh, we've had about three that have come through, which are all very exciting. Now, we've heard about the portfolio update and we're going to next hear the outlook for the hybrid market. And we're also going to hear the importance of understanding all of the risks associated with this type of investment. But before we get into the risks, we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, and we're back. So let's get into the outlook for the hybrid market. Let's just focus on the banks like you're, you're speaking about, Cam, but also if you've got any thoughts on the corporate hybrid market as well. Yeah, look, um, Candice, it's an interesting situation. I mean, there are, there are a few corporate names out there. In fact, we've just, um, we're just about to lose Crown because, um, you know, Blackstone's uh, redeeming them, uh, as we expected. But level of corporate issuance has sort of dwindled over sort of, you know, the past decade or so really because... What's happened is it's a funny situation in Australia. A lot of the corporates just go to the banks for finance. Some of the bigger the bigger corporates do quite a bit of funding offshore because it's cheaper for them. They go to the US, et cetera, and achieve very competitive um, financing there. So, um, look, there is a, a corporate bond market in Australia. Most of it's over the counter. So we're, we're very much listed, ASX listed focused. Uh, we like the listed market. Uh, particularly for more retail clients because it's very transparent. You can see the prices on the screen. It's, it's um, you know, and they're, they're all very appealing things, we think. Um, it also retains its liquidity when you get into more stressful environments. For example, when the pandemic hit, some of the really high-quality debt securities, like even, even US Treasuries, became quite hard to trade and or certainly you saw some volatility in them. But, you know, lower down the credit spectrum, a lot of corporates just cease trading. So bank hybrids, because they were listed, you could continue to transact. The price did move quite dramatically in some cases, which it normally doesn't. But you, you know, you can have those events, and uh, we maintain liquidity. So that that was interesting. But there is a few corporate names out there on the boards. But look, we uh, you know we we do tend to pretty much exclusively stick with the financials now. We will look at the regional banks. Sometimes they offer up some value but we do prefer the risk return in the major banks and you've got better liquidity in the securities too. That was really interesting. Now, we've had a lot of financial jargon. So I think for our listeners' sake, let's go through a couple of really important um, factors and technical terms commonly known in the space. All right, so yield to call, what does that mean? The, a yield to call is effectively akin to an internal rate of return and that probably doesn't help you too much, but let me explain what it is. It's when you talk about equities and dividends, you really talk about something that is effectively a running yield. So you just divide the yield into the current price of the share and that gives you the, 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 the return, if you like. With a hybrid, because you've got hopefully an end date at your call date, timing is all important. So you might pay X for a security, you'll earn a certain distribution rate along the way, normally at quarterly payment intervals, um, and then you will receive your $100 back at call date. Now, if you've, let's say you paid $95 for that security, you're actually going to crystallise a $5 capital gain at call date. So the yield to call takes into account the timing of all your cash flows, whether or not there's a capital gain or loss, and the yield along the way, effectively the return along the way. So it's a bit more sophisticated than just your normal running yield. It, it tells you what your genuine overall annualised return will be for that security. 
Okay, that's really interesting. And I guess, you know, we, we did talk about it at the desk that probably one of the best trades ever was buying some of the major bank hybrids when they came down to about $76, $78 in the COVID crash, because you not only do you get the current distribution, but you also get that significant upside. And I know that you and Aggie were really on the ball, cashed up and took advantage of that, didn't you? Yeah, look, we were. I mean, that, that was, it was a bit fortuitous. I mean, we did have surplus cash in any case, but um, there was a two or three securities, two securities that were withdrawn because of the volatility at that period, which means uh, we end up ended up with a whole lot of cash plus a maturity in another security. So, but certainly it was an opportunity to take advantage of real dislocation that we saw into the market, as you termed it, the COVID crash. And it really was, it was a flash crash. We didn't expect such a quick recovery it was, it was quite astounding. But, you know, you had a situation when it hit that there really was quite a bit of panic. And, uh, you know, markets don't always behave rationally. And you had pretty much people selling everything to go back to cash, which you guys saw too. And it, it happened very, very rapidly. And uh, and I think what, what we've seen before in these securities is sometimes because they don't move as abruptly as shares, people go to them to sell crystallised cash so that they can then go and buy shares that have been heavily sold off. So we saw that happen. But um, as you alluded to, uh, Felicity, I mean, you know, yeah, some of these prices got down to as low as into the $70 spectrum. And uh, it was crazy, really, because, you know, over time, we've always seen these things mean revert. And at the call date, typically, be repaid your $100. So, you know, the recovery happened in a matter of a a month or two, basically. That's it. And they were all trading over the $100 again, right? So <laughs> that's a lot of upside. All right. The second term, yield to maturity. That's pretty much the same as yield to call. Um, the only difference is it's normally used in reference to a true bond where you ha- you have a hard maturity date. So you might recall um, I referenced the fact that these are normally called at the call date, but they don't have to be and that they can then go to a mandatory conversion date. So a yield to maturity, some people for hybrids refer to that as the yield to mandatory conversion. Uh, but in a normal bond where you've got you know, a hard bullet maturity date, that's what a yield to maturity is. But it's, it's calculated in exactly the same way as a yield to call. It takes into account all the cash flows and timing and um, whether there's any capital gain or capital loss. What about face value then? Face value is fundamentally the amount that is used to calculate the distributions. Uh, So it's your reference point, if you like. So it doesn't really happen in the hybrid market, but in the bond market, sometimes you'll have a, you know, and face value is normally $100 or $1,000 or $100,000. It's normally a round number, 100 being the most typical. But sometimes in the bond market, they will then go and issue a security at, 99.50, 99.50, but the coupons or distributions are still calculated on the face value. So because we're talking about hybrids, all that happens there is your face value is the $100 that you put up up front, and that's the amount you expect to receive when you are called at call date. Now, the final one is BBSW. So everyone would see that a lot. Can you explain what that actually means for our listeners? Yeah, so BBSW, the BBSW rate, uh, full, full-term bank bill swap rate, is effectively the setting of where the market sees the 90-day bank bill rate on each day, each business day. And that, it happens, I think, it used to happen at 10 past 10. I think it still happens at that time. So there's these contributing banks that put in a bid and an offer 
and they take the average of all those bids and offers and I think there's like six or eight of them or something along those lines, that then becomes your bank bill swap rate for the day. Now, if you happen to have a hybrid that is um, paying its distribution on the, say, 15th of July, that'll also be the day that the next quarter rate is set on. So all the hybrids have what's called an issue margin. So that's a margin that's set at issue date. And that issue margin, which is permanent for the life of the security, is added to three-month BBSW, and that then becomes your distribution rate for the next quarter. That's important to note. So these investment style of hybrids, they have a fixed margin, let's call it 3.5%, and the floating aspect is the BBSW, so the bank bill 90-day swap rate. So what's the current BBSW, Cam? It's, it, the current three-month BBSW is around 1.82%. And, you know, it's gone up significantly because of um, the anticipation of further rate rises. You know, literally three months ago, it was at, at circa um, 0.25%. So it's moved very dramatically. And that's good for investors who uh, are in these securities because they're floating rate and it moves with the prevailing level of 90-day bill rate or three-month bill rate. Um, that's going up at the moment. So that's good news. So it's kind of a way to hedge against inflation. Am I right? It really is. I mean, and it's a hard thing to hedge inflation because, um, you know, there's inflation-linked bonds out there, but because they they utilise the um, consumer price index, that reacts as a function of what's actually in it in terms of what's in the basket. Whereas these things just, you know, your rate, your distribution rate goes up directly based on the three-month bank bill swap rate. So it's it's a very direct hedge in my view. Okay, and so I guess all that technical term, guys, if we put it into the context of what Cam's in charge of, the current yield to call for the portfolio is 6.4% on the expected 3.8 years to maturity. That's the time horizon, really. As an investor, you're going to wait to get that 6.4%, um, which it's pretty attractive when you when you think about what's going on. And you've mentioned, I'm going to go to the risk part now of this market. So you've mentioned it, you know, the big, the big ticket item there for the risk is the trigger into equity. I guess we know that interest rates are rising. You kind of alluded to that's a good thing for the hybrid market. So it's not a risk, that's a benefit. You're going to make money on the upside. But what other risks, I guess, should we be aware of going into this space? Actually, just taking a step back, the um, it is worth noting too the the um, yield to call that you mentioned is grossed up for franking, so it includes the value of franking in it. That's just a uh, convention in this market. Love good franking credit. Yep. No, no most people love the franking credit too. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, it can preclude offshore investors. Uh, they'll tend to look at something more like a Macquarie that's only 40% franked, which means the cash uh, returns higher. But the other risks that exist out there are, I mean, there's two triggers fundamentally that, that um, these securities contain. And as we discussed before, you know, that's something the regulator inserted so that these things look a bit like equity and, and, and you know, effectively provide a capital foundation for, for banks. One of them is the capital trigger that we discussed, you know, the five and one-eighth percent. If the bank's equity capital gets below that level, then these things will convert into a variable number of shares to equate to $100. And that's never happened. And we hope it never happens. And because uh, I would say to you that the whole banking system would be in immense trouble if that occurred. And, and you know, as, as we discussed, the regulator's got many tools to, to avoid um, capital being eroded to that level. So that's one, the capital trigger. The other one is a thing that's a little bit esoteric. 
and uh, it's called point of non-viability, effectively. So what that means is, and this was born out of the GFC, if a situation arises where the banks actually have to be bailed out, that is government or taxpayers' money has to be applied to keep these things as a going concern, then they can actually be either converted into shares or even written down. So it's never happened. It's, you know, it's, it's a pretty, it would be a pretty severe situation. And because it's never happened, no one's entirely sure what it really means because it's at the discretion of APRA as to whether a bank is non-viable or not. But I think the view that certainly the big institutional investors have taken and, and retail investors is that if things actually get that bad, hybrids is not going to be your only, only problem. Yeah, it's like apocalyptic bad, right? It's like Armageddon. Gotcha. If, that's it, if the banks go down, everyone else goes down, essentially. So I guess, you know, to summarise all of this, I think it's really important that as a long-term investor, if you do buy the hybrid at $100 and then you hold it for the six or seven-year term, you'll essentially get your $100 back uh, as well as the coupons along the way. Now, this is going to be a tricky question for you, Cam. In the current climate, what factors are keeping you up at night or are you sleeping fairly well at the moment? I think the biggest thing for us is just keeping people comfortable when you do have periods of um, dislocation and credit spreads expanding. And we're going through one of those at the moment effectively. You know, we, uh, we've had a couple of months of sort of negative 1% to 1.5% returns. And, of course, never, if you don't crystallise that, it doesn't happen type thing. But when credit spreads widen, prices go down. And it's all about sentiment. So over time, and we've got great, a great chart that you two, uh, Felicity and Kansas, have both seen that shows how income prevails in these securities. So even though you do get periods of capital gain and capital loss on a mark-to-market basis, every quarter your income comes through. And over that's why we say to people, don't, go, don't ever put your money in these things for too short a period of time. And by too short a period of time, I mean three months is really too short. Have a horizon probably sort of a year plus because then the income will smooth out any of those fluctuations. So you know we're 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 always sort of looking out for what we think credit spreads are going to do. We don't have to worry about interest rates particularly because it's floating rate, but all we do really is shift our credit duration by moving a bit shorter or moving a bit longer um, to try and deal with that. So it's more about giving investors comfort that that their money's still in a good spot. Which is like the most important thing, right, when you're in the funds management business. So you've been in the industry for a long time, you know, over 30 years. Has there been a similar time that you can recall in the markets that sort of feels like we're going through what we're going through now? You know, like what is the state of play? Like history, can it repeat itself, do you think, in this space? Do you know, I've actually been in the market for 36 years. The year I started was um, 1987, so that was an interesting year to start. That's a good year to start your debut. <laughs> um, so I have seen plenty of cycles and, uh, you know, this, I mean, this is an interesting one because, you know, we've had such a long sustained period of um, QE and effectively, if you like, printing money, a very easy monetary conditions and uh, incredibly low rates. And obviously we've come to the end of that and there was always going to be a degree of pain associated with that. We've had a confluence of other factors, obviously, in terms of supply chain disruption and, um, you know, commodity price rises and, and, and so forth that has caused this inflationary situation. So I guess the risk of rates 
going up has been heightened and uh, that's caused the sort of current volatility. But fundamentally, we think that, you know, the banks, and believe it or not, the consumer's still in pretty good shape. Most people are prepaid on their mortgages. Lots of household savings still. Lots of household savings are still pretty good. And you do have, uh, you know, corporates never really re-levered to some extent post the GFC, but but post the COVID crash, they haven't they haven't really re-levered. Corporate balance sheets are in pretty good shape, actually. If you put all that together, um, I think that we're going to be able to weather this storm better than than most people would think. Uh, who are very focused on the now. Yeah, I wonder if we'll miss this recession as well. Australia, the lucky country, if we won't actually go into recession. What are your thoughts, Cam? Look, it's it's it's. I think we've got to remember that really all a recession is is um, negative growth for for what a couple of quarters, right? So you know, I, I say that flippantly in a sense because it, it obviously causes a lot a lot of pain for the those that are involved. I think it's about a 50-50 thing, Felicity, to be honest. Well, I think, didn't we talk about China, Norway and Australia have both continued growth? Yes. Quite interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, Norway's, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're an incredibly wealthy country and obviously Norges, Norges Bank and they were, they were so uh, insightful the way they invested their oil uh, revenues. Quite a lesson for other, other sovereign countries, I would have thought. Australia has done pretty well to avoid recessions, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I guess we need to do a little bit more research um, into Norway and, and how they've managed things. So final question. Now, we love investable ideas here at Talk Money To Me. Can you give us your top three hybrid ideas at the moment? Yeah, yep. So, you know, the hybrid curve at the moment is reasonably flat. And what that means is actually a lot of the hybrids at the shorter end are looking pretty attractive because they're offering almost as big a return as the potentially more volatile and risky longer dated securities. So there's one in particular that we've been recommending, which is um, the Combank Pearl 7, uh, which comes up for call um, at the end of the year. So it's a six-month return. It's got about a six-month, uh, 6% yield to call. And you've effectively got two more distributions. You call date fifteenth of December, so you know that's that's a really attractive short dated trade. And then potentially you've got the option to, uh, if they offer a reinvestment offer um, and roll investors into a new security, you've got the option to to have a look at that and invest in that. Should it be there and and you know with an appealing uh, margin? Now, what's the code for that one, Cam? CBAPD. Okay, great. And then I think it's just a case of, look, it varies day to day, but rather than giving you three picks, I'd say if you looked further out the curve now, there's some pretty big yields, you know, given the shape of the swap curve, which is like a longer dated BBSW, essentially. Um, you know, the likes of CBAPK, ANZPK, ANZPJ, sorry, <laughs> they, they look pretty attractive. ANZPJ. So you've heard it first here. Those are the best three ideas at the moment. Um, now, final question, I promise, and we like to ask all of our you know, special guests this, coffee, tea or tequila? Well, look, I can only really say tequila to you, Felicity. I hate to prove of anything else. <laughs> That's it. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us, Cam. And if someone's keen to learn more about your model, should they try follow you on LinkedIn um, or they can also follow Shore and Partners? Either or, yeah, certainly. Probably Shore and Partners because there's a, a broader array of uh, information there. 
That's it. Well, thank you so much and we'll see you soon. Thanks very much, Candice and Felicity. Appreciate the time. Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap. But before we do sign off, guys, as always, please remember, although Felicity and I are financial advisors at Shrine Partners, obviously today's discussion is not considered personal advice and you should always go out and seek professional advice before you make any of your investment or financial decisions. The facts and also information we spoke about today with Cam are based on the 5th of July 2022 on the date of recording. Gosh, 5th of July already, that's crazy. Now, make sure you follow us on at Talk Money To Me podcast on Instagram for daily market updates. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a good review, five stars, on Apple Podcast or Spotify. And remember, if you have any questions or you want to ask any of our guests any questions, you can contact us at tmtm at equitymates.com. We'll be back next week with another really exciting episode. So stay tuned. Until next time, stay safe. See you then, guys. Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporation. Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.